Good morning. It's loud. (laughs) This summer, I was reading through a book by Brad House entitled uh, Community, Taking Your Small Group Off Life Support. And in the first chapter, he talks about being an image bearer of God. And in Genesis, we're told that we are created in the image of God. In all of creation, only humanity has the unique privilege of being an image bearer of God. And yet, because of sin, we've forfeited that privilege. But God, in the richness of His grace, has sent His Son to restore that privilege, thus making it possible for us to once again be image bearers. And so all summer long I've been thinking about this, trying to understand what it means to be an image bearer, trying to wrap my hands around the the concept. What does it look like? How do I bear the image of God? And so I'll ask you to join me this morning as we take a look at our identity in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for creating us in your image. Lord, your word tells us in every page how to bear that image. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning when we walk out of these doors, we will better understand who we are in Christ and how we can live a life that shows off your image. So, Father, come and be with us this morning as I know you already are and be pleased with all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, way in the back of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2. I think there's Bibles in the, pu- in the chairs in front of you, and they have it up on the screen if you can't find one. I'm going to start reading in verse 4. As you come to him... The living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble, and they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, 
as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. As we come to him, come to Jesus, as we yield our life to him in faith, he makes us part of his spiritual house. He makes us part of his family. And in doing so, gives us a new identity. There are those who believe and there are those who don't. And for those who believe, Jesus is precious. And by trusting in him, we will never be put to shame. And we will have our identity restored to its original design. But to those who do not believe, they stumble and they fall because of their disobedience. And so they are prevented from having their identity restored. And there's four parts to our identity. First, we are a chosen people. There are two ways of choosing. There's man's way and there's God's way. Man's way of choosing is distorted because of sin. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. One picture I get when I think about man's way of choosing is a schoolyard. And there are a group of kids choosing teams, and you have two captains in front, and they're standing in front of the group looking at which of the kids will be the best for their team. Which kid will help them win? And for those waiting to be picked, there are usually two thoughts going through their mind. The first one is, oh, pick me first. I want to be picked first. Because if you're picked first, that sends a message to the rest of the group that you are the best. The second thought going through some of those minds are, please don't let me be picked last. I don't want to be picked last. Because that also sends a message. If you're picked last, that you are the worst. And some of us have been first, and we know that joy. And some of us have been last, and we know that pain. But God's way of choosing is different. When God chooses us, He looks at us and sees our potential. For those of us who believe in the Creator of the universe, He's chosen you. Try to wrap your mind around that. God has chosen you. This should fill us with an immense sense of joy. We should be bursting at the seams, wanting to tell everybody, He chose me. 
He chose me. God chose me. Well, what kind of people were we when we were chosen? We must be pretty great, right? I mean, after all, have God choose you? You've got to be something, something, right? Well, turn to Ephesians. Paul gives us a glimpse of the kind of people that we were when we were chosen. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Hmm. Dead. Dead things don't really have much to offer. Not only were we dead, but we followed the ways of the world. And the ways of the ruler of the air, or Satan. We were disobedient. And we were gratifying the cravings of our sinful natures. We were objects of wrath. Different picture of kind of people we were when we were chosen. But in verse 4, there's a little three-letter word that I love when I see it in the Bible. But, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Because of his great love for us, he made us alive. And not only that, but he gave us the faith to respond to that grace. God's choice should fill us with joy. And we should want to shout from the rooftops, He chose me. There's an old hymn that I love. It's called, Jesus Loves Even Me. And it says, Oh, <laughs> I am so glad that the Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see, but this is the dearest, that Jesus loves me. He loves me. And because he loves me, he chose me. And he chose you. But not only are we a chosen people, which would be fantastic if that was all, We are also a royal priesthood. In Israel, there were priests and there were kings. But in Christ, the two are combined. There are two primary elements which constitute the image of a royal priest. First, the priests serve the king. 
and have access into his holy presence. And second, the priests rule with the king. From Exodus 19, God told Moses, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In Psalm 110 and in Hebrews 7, we see that Jesus is a priest, but not of the Levitical priesthood. He's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And if you read in Genesis chapter 14, you'll find out about Melchizedek and about his encounter with Abraham. He was the Old Testament model for a royal priest, and he foreshadowed Christ, who is the perfect royal priest. So when Christ came, there's a change in the priesthood, and Jesus, is established, Jesus establishes a new order of which those who believe are a part of. He is the high priest, and we are all priests, and we reign with him. In Israel, the priests have access to God's presence, but only the high priest could enter the most holy place, and then he could only enter it once a year. And first, he would have to offer a series of sacrifices to, make him, to cleanse him of his sin in order for him to be allowed into God's presence. And once he fulfilled his duties in the Holy of Holies, he left and had to wait another year before he could go back in. But we, you and I, have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And therefore, we have access to God anytime. By being cleansed with His blood, we are made holy in God's sight. And so we have access to our Heavenly Father. But not only do we have access to God, we also get to rule with Christ. A characteristic of royalty is that they have ruling power. Paul talks about judging angels in, chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As a priest, we will have some responsibilities. So our future will consist of offering sacrifices of praise and reigning over angels and other areas that Christ puts us in charge of. And so all of this should unleash in us an overflowing fountain of praise and excitement. We get to reign with Christ. What an incredible thing God has done for us. And if that were the end, that would give us something to sing about. But it isn't. There's even more. Not only are we a chosen people and a royal priesthood, but we are a holy nation. We are set apart to God primarily for the purpose of having a relationship with Him. That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart. We are set apart from the condemnation of sin. A big word is sanctified. We are sanctified. We are cleansed from sin. And sanctification has two Two aspects. 
First, the believer's position before God. And second, their progressive practical pattern of holy living. God recognizes that the believer is separated from the penalty of sin. But in the practical aspect, He sends His Holy Spirit to assist the believer in holy living. We have been separated from what is unholy and devoted to God. When you were saved, it wasn't just that your sins were forgiven, which is marvelous. It wasn't that you were just saved from hell. You were literally brought into intimacy with Christ, into an intimate relationship, which is referred which at the moment of salvation, we move from a position of darkness to a position of light. From a position of condemnation to a position of cleansing. But this doesn't mean that we never sin again. That's the ongoing practical work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And one day, when we get to heaven, we will no longer need to work out that holiness, because we will be holy. But until then, the Holy Spirit helps us to continue to live a life, to strive to be holy. But you will never be a holy person until you cultivate a relationship with Christ. To pursue holiness is to pursue a relationship with Christ. So we're a chosen, priest, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. But there's more. We are a people belonging to God. The word translated belonging, uh, in the, if you have the NIV, or if you have the New American Standard, it would say a possession. That word there means to purchase or acquire for a price. You have been bought by the blood of Christ. In chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 18 and 19, says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down, to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In Revelations 5, 9, it says, And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood purchased men for God. You see, we are now the possession of Christ. When I was in high school, I bought a 1949 Studebaker pickup. And my father and I, well, mostly my father, worked long hours to restore that truck from an old clunker into a beautiful piece of art. Many long hours were spent sanding, I can remember I would sand on the fender to get it ready to be painted, and I'd say, ah, oh, I think I got it, Dad, and he'd come over, nope, needs more. 
So I'd sand some more. I think I got it. Nope, needs more. And I, would, I worked at a grocery store, and I'd take my money, and we'd buy parts for the truck. That truck was mine. And I remember driving into the school parking lot the first day of my senior year in that truck. And all the heads turned. was like, wow, who's driving that? That's pretty nice. That truck was mine, and I loved it. But two days before my graduation, in a moment of complete stupidity, I wrecked it. Totaled it completely. I'm sure all of us can think of a possession that we have which holds extreme value to us. Maybe we spent a lot of money to get it. Maybe it was given to us by a family member who is no longer with us. However we acquired it, it's ours. And it's special to us. We might even say that it's priceless. Well, God loves you so much that He paid a price to purchase you from the condemnation of sin. And I don't think any of us will ever fully comprehend the depth of His love or the cost that He paid for you. One for me. But even if we can't fully understand it, the thought that God, the God of the universe, would do such a thing for sinners should cause us to want to express our joy and gratefulness. If we read something in the Bible which tells us to live a certain way, act a certain way, it would, should be our joy to obey Him. And so we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why would God do all of this for sinners? The answer is there in the second half of verse 9 of First Peter chapter 2. It says that you may declare his praises, may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Our response to God, for, to what God has done for us, is to declare his praises. We get to praise God. We get to tell others about his love. We get to offer, sac- offer ourselves in service to the king. And there's a huge difference, a huge difference between have to and get to. And if in your mind the Christian life is a laundry list of have to's, you're missing something. You're missing something. The Christian life is not about Having to do things for God, the Christian life is about getting to do things for God. And Peter goes on to say that once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There was a time in your life that you belonged to this world, but now you belong to God. Once you had not received mercy and forgiveness, you were an object of wrath. But now God has replaced His wrath with His mercy and forgiveness. He has taken you out of darkness and placed you into His wonderful light. Peter continues to urge his readers and us to abstain from the sinful desires that war against your soul. Do you consider yourself to be at war? Or are you lulled into a in, are you lulled into thinking that everything is okay? Whether you realize it or not, you are at war. Every day there is a battle going on within you, a battle to live a holy life or to give in to the sinful desires. But it's a war we don't have to fight alone. The Holy Spirit, a gift of God, helps us fight that war. Peter also calls his readers and us strangers and aliens in the world. Is that how you view yourself? Is this world your home? Or are you just passing through? Do you strive for all that this world has to offer? Or do you strive for all that heaven has to offer? And he says to us to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The world is watching you, and they may think that you are closed-minded. They may think you are not willing to open your mind to and accept all the philosophies the world has. They may call you intolerant because you won't accept their lifestyles. They may call you a hater because you disagree with them. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, stand firm. Because one day, one day Christ will come. And then they will have to glorify Him. And so we are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people belonging to God. And we get... We get to declare His praises and we get to serve the King of Kings. Pray with me. Holy and awesome God, thank You. Thank You for choosing me. Lord, I know I let You down time and time again. But I'm thankful for Your grace. And I'm thankful for the Spirit who helps me to lead a holy life.
Lord, help me each day to shout from the rooftops, He chose me. Jesus chose me. Lord, let us leave this place this morning and shout with joy about Your love and about the things that You can do for sinners. Let us bring Your joy into this world. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, Jerry, for sharing that good news. It's great news. And I think in this dark world, as he was talking about, there's always good news to be shared. So let's do that. Let's stand.